0: Edelstein here, your celeb expert and your celeb savant. Celeb savant is a weekly entertainment show. We have long-form career retrospective type interviews with celebrities, singers, actors and industry experts. It's about to get real, real, real here because I'll be speaking to Ian Baker from the UK-British alternative rock band Jesus Jones. The band was formed in late 1988 and they continued to record and perform up until current times. Their track Right Here, Right Now was an international hit and was subsequently globally licensed for promotional and advertising campaigns. The single was also nominated for a Grammy Award at the 34th Annual Grammy Awards in 1991, as was its album, Doubt. They also achieved chart success with the songs Real Real Real, international bright young thing and info up next on celebs fight we've got ian baker from jesus jones where do we find you in the world what's happening in your life and how are you doing
1: i'm doing good at the moment um i'm just kind of um focusing on the band i guess really for 2023 after a couple of years where it's been intermittent shall we say you know and i don't kind of do a vast amount of other stuff with my my time and my life, really I look after my kids um I have a couple of other little things that I do, so my work with the band is great it's kind of not a career it's like uh an intermittent hobby you know which yeah. is which is great because it means yeah. I can focus on it when I need to focus on it
0: so now let's rewind all the way back to the very beginning let's tell them that Jesus Jones music journey and
1: story well it's quite a long one really i mean it it starts it's 35 years old which, which is i still find quite incredible the band started in 1988 although it had been through a number of different iterations before it actually became jesus jones so mike mike edwards the singer and sort of you know, musical driving force had, had tried to start a band and make a band work a few times. Uh, they'd been called Camouflage, they'd been called The Big Colour, and for some reason it just wasn't working, you know. And Mike had, you know, essentially he had a bunch of good songs, he had, you know, ideas, but things didn't really work. And the thing that made things work as Jesus Jones uh, was really his understanding that he could start to sample things. Um, so in the summer of 1988, yeah, he was listening to you know hip hop and house music and dance music, as well as listening to rock music. And, and he started listening to dance music and thinks, well, this is kind of more exciting than the rock music that I'm doing at the moment. So why don't I take elements of this and turn it into something new? And at that point, um, Jesus Jones effectively, uh, was born. So Mike says, right, okay, we'll start all over again. We'll have a new name. We'll have a new identity. We'll maybe, you know, maybe a new bunch of songs. I've got a few ideas which I'm working on. And it was just a chance to start with a, with a clean slate. And that was in July or August of 1988. And we started really playing, uh, gigs as an, as a five piece, in December, and mm-hmm. and the debut single was out in January 1989. So things happened really quickly. After that initial period of having the idea, mm. um, it all kicked off really, really quickly. Um, and then away we went.
0: Why the name Jesus Jones? Where does that come from?
1: Everybody wants a really cool story behind that. Everybody wants a really, uh, a story that will make them go, oh, wow. So that's where it comes from. And the fact that the, the reason why we we're called Jesus Jones is kind of boring. And it's down to the fact that we were called other things before that that didn't really work. Um And everybody that's starting out in a band knows that one of the first pe- things that people focus on as a, as an unknown band or as a band trying out to, to make it. Is people really judge you on the quality of your name? They, that you know, the amount of people you know, you you ring promoters and they'll say, you want a band. What? What do you call?" Oh, oh well, yeah, okay, all right, fair <laughs> enough. And you know, they judge you on the quality of your name, you know. Yeah. And um, that happens to bands that are starting out all the time, all the time. And because Jesus Jones had been two other bands before. And they weren't really getting places. There was a sense in, I think, Mike and the rest of the band thought, well, (laughs) maybe our previous names just sucked. You know, maybe if we're going to start this again with a new idea, we should start with a new name. So um, they became Jesus Jones. And the reason behind it is is just really kind of dull and simple. You know, there were I, I think the guitarist said to Mike was a few other bands out there with the word Jesus in the title. You're like Jesus and Mary chain. Maybe you should, you know, have something with the word Jesus in, you know, maybe that would be kind of on trend and a bit kind of, you know, whatever. And I think somebody else suggested that they use the word Jesus Jones, just because it's two words that begin with J and it sort of trips off your tongue. You know, it, uh, it scans well, you know. Jesus yes. Jones, dum da dum, dum da da da, da. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's some alliteration going on there. It's short and it's snappy. So I hate to disappoint everybody out there um, <laughs> and say that it doesn't mean anything. There's there's no there's no there's no symbolism or mean. It was just like, can we can we try and find a cool name that maybe people <laughs> will remember. And as soon as somebody said it, you know, one of the people in the band was like, well, yeah, okay, that's kind of, you know, it's easy to remember. It's snappy. Let's go for it. Uh, And it worked. So we stuck with it.
0: And now you guys obviously knew that the new um, or Mike was had this idea for this new music of, you know, the dance and the rock and the different elements. Did you guys at the time think, cool, let's put it out there. It's going to. Do well, yes, naturally to be successful. But did you re- think that you'd be nominated for Grammy Awards?
1: No, everybody always has that thing where you start a band and you think, yeah, this is it, the big time, here we come. Yeah. But nobody ever really kind of thinks that that level of success will arrive, you know, when it does, it's just mind-blowing. Having said that, you know, I, I remember when I joined the band, because they were, they were literally, they were a four-piece for about a month. And then Mike played me the demos of Info Freaker. He played me a demo of Info Freaker and I was like, that's amazing. You know, and the, fu- and the fully released version of Info is pretty much the same as the demo. So what you hear as that track is pretty much the same thing mm-hmm. I heard as a demo. And when he played me that for the first time or, you know, all right, you say, well, people don't think that they're ever going to be massively successful and famous, but. I just knew that at that point I knew it would work and I knew it would reach people and I knew people would love it because it was that good. It, imagine if somebody gave you the winning lottery ticket yes. numbers, you know, and you just like, this is a sure thing. I cannot miss. I can't lose. And I remember hearing that for the first time and th- and it, it's a strange feeling to hear that, you know, I was like, this is a sure thing. It can't fail because it's that good. You know, sometimes when people play their demos, it's okay and it needs work and you can see that it may develop or whatever. This was like a fully fledged idea that was it was just there. Um, And that was that was really exciting. So at that point, I knew it would work. You know, did I know that you'd end up getting a Grammy award? No, hell no. No. But I knew it would work.
0: I remember as a young person at the time, I used to listen to yeah. Back in South Africa, we used to have the American charts every. Yeah. I think it was a Saturday morning, and I, I was listening to your guys' uh songs, uh "Who, Where, Why," international yep. bright thing, all those things climbing the charts, and they were so hooky, an earworm as it's called. And I, yeah. I remember loving them. But now, obviously, you guys have been carrying on over the time over the periods. Are you c- focusing on the stuff that you 've released in the past, or are you guys going to be releasing any newer music
1: yeah, I mean we do obviously focus on what we 've done in the past because yeah. that 's what people that 's what people expect expect from us and and i i I get that you know that's that 's absolutely fine um, but we do do new music too um we 're currently working on new material um we 've got a couple of songs that' we're all that are all ready to go. we record them in in different situations now i mean back in the day everybody's you know you'll get together at the same point at the same time and you get to the studio and you record mm-hmm. and and these days it doesn't quite happen like that so um you know mike will do his parts and then he'll digitally send the files over and i can do backing vocals and jerry can play his guitar you know jen does has a midi drum kit so he can record the drums digitally then they can be sent over and everything's kind of remotely put together in a studio so it's not quite the same process that it was but it, it, it you know it results in the same Jesus Jones material so yeah we're working on that I, I would say though that the impetus for making new material is perhaps different than it used to be you know when you're in a band uh, when we're in a band in the early 90s and the mid 90s um, and when you're signed to a record label there's external pressure to to produce things you know there's there's a guy in an office that's um hey where where's the juicy jones album man i need another jones album (laughs) um and you know when you're signed to a record label you know you're on that conveyor belt you know people are expecting you to produce stuff which which is good you know because that acts as a creative impetus but obviously once we stopped working with record labels in that way some of that impetus falls away and we did spend, you know, 10, 15 years when because there's nobody telling you to write new material, you don't really write new material. So you perhaps lose focus or lose sight of what it is of the the situation that you need to be in to make music. And And I think now we've realized you do it when and if you want to. You know, if it's 10 days between new songs, fine. It's 10 months between new yeah. songs. Fine. If it's 10 years between new songs, fine, because it's, it's about what you want to do and when you want to do it. That's the important thing. Um, so yeah, we, we work to our own schedule completely now.
0: You're on your own schedule now, but previously, yeah, if you would have still been on that record label on that conveyor belt in inverted commas, do you feel that you yeah. would have, that pressure would have allowed you to, Focus more and release more music regularly?
1: Um, I don't know, actually. I mean, I think that, yeah, yeah, it's possible. But I, I think one of the interesting things about Jesus Jones is obviously is how that the pressure of being in a record company environment in the first part of our careers, how it affected us anyway you know we did have a huge amount of success and we had a a large amount of success very early on and by the time we got to album 4 which is already you know I'm not saying our career was over but you know there'd been a kind of significant press backlash to what we did because we were working with so much technology and people thought oh well that's not cool anymore and you know grunge had taken over then britpop and those were two very different things to what we did, and we were just sort of not really in favor anymore. And so when the record company stopped working with us in about 97, 1998, it meant that, um, that period of success for us was over. And to get to my main point, I think I'd have to say that we, we learned so much from as it were, being rejected by the music industry. We learned what it was to actually be ourselves. And I think it's helped us in the long run. I think it was better for us to do that. Yeah, if we'd have been on a label, we could have still been on the conveyor belt. We could have still be recording music, but I don't think it perhaps would have been any good because we would have, a lot of the passion would have gone out completely. Whereas because we were, as it were rejected by the industry and we had to kind of look back into ourselves it made us rediscover who we were creatively that's what's allowed us to continue writing and recording if i think if we'd have been on that record company conveyor belt i think we'd have sputtered along for another 2 3 years and then we'd have called it a day mm-hmm. and we'd have called it a day for good okay and we've just we said that's it um, as it was, you know, getting off the conveyor belt was possibly the best decision we ever made. I say the, the best decision we ever made. Maybe it was made for us. Yes. But it, but, you know what I mean? It was yeah, yeah, made yeah, yeah, for yeah. us. Yeah. But it, but I think we found a way of making that decision, not somebody else's, but finding our own way th- through that decision.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, which is, which is really important.
0: And these days, there's so many artists, independent artists that are not on record labels, just flying up the charts yeah. and releasing music. You guys have been doing it for the longest time. So you can give courses to the new up and guys, up and coming guys. And yeah, guys yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah I, th-
1: I think, I think also, I mean, I think technology plays a, a, a large part in that because, you know, when we started doing things, we were a rock band using computers to, to, to make Music and and we were kind of evangelizing that way of doing things. And by the time it got to Perverse, which is 1993, a lot of the press were saying, you know, we got a lot a significant amount of flack for using technology. And they, you know, the idea was that well, that can't be real music. You can't be a real authentic musician making music if you're using computers. And if you're using computers, then If you're using technology, then it must be techno music you're making. You can't be making rock music. You must be making techno music. And to deal with those two points, I mean, I think fairly obviously, you know, they said, well, you can't be a real musician to do it, you know, using technology. That's insane. You know, now I'd say literally 95 percent of all musicians make their music that way you know and then the other argument which was there, they used to say well you're using computers you must be you're using technology you must be making just techno or dance music i don't get that i mean these days it doesn't matter who you are you can be a folk musician who just performs with a, an acoustic guitar using found sounds or just you and a microphone and you can make that music mm. that kind of organic folk music, you can make that music using exactly the same technology that you would make dance music or house music or or whatever. Just because it's technology, I I think that link to what type of music is has been conclusively broken. And the link to how important technology is to musicians these days has been conclusively made. And I think that those two things we're quite proud of you know because these days it has changed around you know i i think that i'm not saying we told you so but yeah we did tell you so and <laughs> um but i like to say also that you know we um we we lost the battle but in the end we did win a war you know because you know we totally lost that battle you know the press kind of just dumped on us in a in an enormous way in 1993 and 94 and it it did swamp us completely and i think it killed a certain part of our career you know so we lost that battle but I think in the end we did win the war because nowadays we don't do interviews with anybody that's confused by our of our use of technology Mm, and and it's that doesn't happen at all and I'm so glad that that's happened you know Um, we were never trying to be a, a techno band and we were never trying to people thought we were trying to I don't know, be trailblazers or do things differently in a in in a way, you know. And we were always like, well, this isn't about doing things differently. This is just about doing things the way that you can do them, and the way that they should be done, you know. Yeah. And now it is the way that they are done.
0: That period of time when the press were very heavily negative towards you guys.
1: How did you yeah. deal
0: with that? I mean, must, 93, 94 is a long, it's two years in the greater scheme of things. It's a small period of time, but in and that yeah. time, it's a lot of bombardment coming your ways. How did you maintain your positivity throughout that?
1: It, it was difficult at times. I think a, a lot of the times you, you take solace in the fact that, you, you know, you can still pull a crowd and the, and the people love what you're doing. The, the, the fans that you have love what you're doing. That's an important an important part of it. I think without that, you know, because that gives you a feedback loop to to what you're producing. Without that, um, you'd, we'd have been kind of a bit lost and i I'm, I'm just struck by how how different the world is these days you know for musicians in in that regard you know these days who cares i mean i know we're doing things and we're doing an interview and we're doing kind of you know uh, um uh, music press critical appreciation thing but in a sense these days it's it's not as Im- it's not important it's not yeah. important as it was anymore you know and i think that it was just insane how important it was back then, you know, over here in the UK we had, you know, we had the enemy and melody maker and, and a couple of other big sort of press things and their viewpoint was so important. Whereas these days I'm, I'm quite heartened to see that for a lot of musicians, it doesn't make any difference what the reviews of the paper in the paper say about your album. You know, these days, bands are much more able to control that narrative i realize there are certain things you know you can't particularly navigate through you know it's it's difficult to say when things will go viral and you you can't control that um all the time you can you know you can sow the seeds on things like tiktok but you can't control it all the time yeah. Um, and I think that bands being able to at least control some of their, their destiny in that regard is, is brilliant because back then music press, um, reactions made or, or broke careers and livelihoods. And that's a difficult situation to, to be in. We were lucky because we were insulated by a certain amount of success that we'd had. But there are, there were other situations where bands, you know, when they got dumped on by the music press, there were bands that were literally sort of hounded out, out of fame. And, and I think that's, um, it's just amazing to think, to think that that actually happened. You know, yeah. I just think it's, it, I think it's crazy. It's um, completely crazy. And don't, you know, I, I should say, don't get me wrong. You know, I mean, I was an avid reader of the music press and the music press had its, I loved it you know get get a copy of the enemy every Wednesday or whatever every Thursday it was just brilliant you know it's part of the the language of being a music fan back in those days you know but there was a a dark side to it and there was a dark side to the power that that music press wielded back in those days yeah. and so yeah for us navigating through it was was tricky at times you have to you have to have a lot of inbuilt faith in your own creativity and you have to have strength and sometimes you have to be able to draw on other things like I said drawing on the audience and their strength because sometimes your own strength might not be enough (laughs) to get you through it you know and there were times when it felt like we weren't getting through it but at the end of the day we're here and and about 90% of those music paper titles aren't here anymore anyway so Again, you know, we lost the battle, but, you know, maybe we won the war. I don't know.
0: Are those vinyls I see next behind you? So for the guys listening on Zoom. Okay, so that brings me to my next question. So we had vinyls, cassettes, CDs. I'm so – I love a CD. I love the aesthetic of holding something, the art, the visuals, the thank yous. For me, it's a thank you to you guys for all the hard work you've got. Your CDs are in my collection, just so you know. And – Now we've got these digital platforms. What is your perception of the way people consume music now compared to how they used to? Just on a side note, a couple of years ago, CDs had the first time in 21 years increase in sales. Last year's vinyls in the UK alone were at 5.5 million, which is biggest sales since 1990. So those are resurging. But what are your perceptions around the whole industry where we are now?
1: It's a different thing, isn't it? I mean, I grew up. Listening to and obsessing over physical product, you know, seven in singles and albums and and what have you. And I've still got thousands of CDs. I I love physical product. And there is a a relationship that that a, a fan has with music that you get from physical product that cannot really be replicated in any other way. And I think it's it's weird. And, you know, once the, the streaming revolution started, this resurgence in physical formats has has come, I think, as a byproduct of streaming um, and streaming gave you the ability to not have to own anything. That was the whole thing. When streaming started, mm. it was like, well, you don't need a collection anymore because the collection just exists you know on Spotify and you can just say well I just want to I want to listen to James Brown and then I want to listen to the Rolling Stones and then I want to listen uh, to Billy Eilish and then I want to listen to Beethoven and you can just go bang 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 and you didn't have to own all these things you could just listen to anything anywhere anytime um which is fine uh but if it was completely fine then people would have actually got rid of everything yeah. and we'd have never seen any physical product and all the old physical product would have somehow just vanished. And yet in the same way that books, you know, still people want books and you can get, you know, a Kindle reader, even though there's streaming and you can access everything, people still want physical products. And and also I think that the rise of streaming has actually accelerated the need for physical products. So, as streaming has become more prevalent, people need physical products even more. And I think that's because streaming has emphasized the distance between us and the music. It hasn't brought it closer. Yes. It's kind of brought it closer because I can just bring it up on my phone, but it, it's brought it closer, but it feels further away sometimes. Mm. And and physical product is just one of those things which brings things so close to you because it's it's tactile. You can hold it, you know? Yeah. You,
0: and it's also an experience to know, okay, this month I'm gonna budget yeah. for this amount and I'm gonna choose yeah. the Jesus Jones uh album, this album, that album, and I'm gonna to go to the store or order it online, open the packaging, yeah. and it's a whole experience of listening it from song one yeah, to yeah, yeah, ten yeah. fifteen. Yeah. Well
1: I think that I think what well, I think that you make an incredibly valid point, you know, because physical is about and making a definite choice yeah. you know is it's about making a choice and it's about committing yourself and your finances and your time to something you're you're making a vow you know to to, to that piece of physical product you're saying look i believe in you enough to be able to want to spend my money mm-hmm. on you you know you're saying right that's it i'm committing to you uh whereas streaming is a very fickle mistress we although we pay our you know our ten dollars or our fifteen dollars a month or whatever it is or you know although we're actually paying some money out streaming itself feels like a very fickle mistress because you you know if you say i just want to listen to the first clash album you can listen to 30 40 seconds of it and you know, then you can go nah, i'm gonna listen to something else and back off it goes you know and then yeah. and then you just and then you just you're like a butterfly you know hopping from one flower to the next and never settling never settling and never never staying in one place kind of long enough to do anything and that's the that's one of the issues i find with streaming is that i don't commit to things when i'm streaming you know you know the amount of times you just skip 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 you're pinballing around from your playlist to one thing or another and you can't beat you know, a physical album sometimes for that thing of well, you're just gonna sit there and you're gonna listen to one side of an album. Yes. Start to finish. You know, and I think that's a powerful process. Yes.
0: I love your analogy of the butterfly. I think that's so cool. I'm gonna keep it in my back my backhand. <laughs> I'm I love playing this game. My recipients don't always like it. Uh okay. so I know if I had to ask you this question in two minutes, 20 minutes, two hours, uh, two days, and I realize and I recognize that your answer will be different each time I ask you that this question. Yeah. But once we finish this recording, if you had to push play on five songs by other artists, what would those five songs be?
1: What would the five songs be? I'd have Hiroshima Monomore by Ultravot. Mm -hmm. I would have um, Why Does the Rain by The Loft. I would have Beautiful beautiful White by The Pursuit of Happiness.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I would have Beauty Dies Young by Low Gold. Yes. And I would have Beverly by The Flies. Those are the five, but I would, I would, um, <laughs> that, yeah, as as you say, it is a difficult one. Yes, and it if is. If you difficult. ask me five minutes, there'd be five yeah. totally different things. But yeah. I'm quite, I'm quite happy with the idea that I can find five things really quickly. You yeah. know that that makes me happy.
0: The podcast is listened to throughout the world. As okay. a final message to the listening audience, what would you like to say?
1: All opinions are my own, and my own strictly. I hope I haven't <laughs> kind of trodden on anybody's toes with my. Uh, opinions I've always kind of been one of those people that believes in music and also believes in a belief in music and I think if you have a belief in music you have to have it fairly consistently and you have to have it with strength and determination and purpose and I remember all my journey through music taught me that you're always going to come across people who go no, you're totally wrong. Oh, you, you like that? No, you're wrong, whatever. Or <laughs> they don't like your band or your views or whatever. But I think that's the glory of music, the idea that you can find something and stick to it, even if sometimes people will disagree with your choices or your views. So, yeah, I mean, I've always been quite forthright about my opinions uh, when it comes to music. So, yeah, if, any, if they if they don't chime with people out there listening to this podcast, sorry but I think that's the key thing in music you know if you're gonna be out there you know find something that you love in music and stick to it and have those beliefs what else would I say I would say quite simply I think I'd always like to say thank you to anybody that's listened to us and liked us over the years I mean it's been 35 years which I quite honestly can't believe you know the idea that I can still be talking to somebody now When we started in 1988, the idea that I'd be sitting here in a different part of the UK in like a different house with a family and I'm still doing the band and it's 35 years later and now there's the internet and we're doing things on a Zoom call and it's just, you know, it's that's just amazing to see how kind of life has changed and and everything's kind of developed over the years and to know that jesus jones as a kind of a a band and a concept of kind of drifted along somehow with all those things it's just nothing short of amazing to me and a lot of the reason that that's happened is because all right we've kept the band alive but people have kept the band alive in their hearts as well Mm. you know and i've never ever got to the point where i've forgotten that or been ungrateful you know i've always been so thankful that people haven't forgotten about us and have allowed this project to continue, you know, without them and without their interest in what we do, um, there is no doubt that I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you, you know, so I'm thankful for those people out there who still keep the flame going, you know, thanks to each and every one of them, that's the only basic thing that I that I, that I should be saying at this particular point you know is thank thanks to everybody that loves it